There we go. Didn't have a time to test it, but I hear the gentleman upstairs is awesome in what he does. And so sounds like we're coming up just right. All right. Well, good morning and thank you for having me here today. Dan and I met a few weeks back where I live in Las Vegas. And shortly after that meeting, I get an email from him asking me, would you be able and are you available to preach this particular Sunday? Well, I'm here. So the answer was, yes. You guys respond. That's a good thing. Okay. I live off the responses. Okay. I also know Lauren and Sherry Crannell. We go back a far, well, a little ways back. And uh, our kids were about that big, well, maybe somewhere around there, when they were playing baseball together in California, and so we've known each other for a while now. So I am glad to be here today, and let me get this started, because I'm, you know what I like doing? I like timing myself, because then I know when I need to stop. Any amens there? <laughs> there we go. Um, I am glad to be here today, and i um, on behalf of the leadership, if you are here and you are visiting, I wouldn't know who, if you are or not, because I'm visiting. But if you are, on behalf of the leadership, thank you for being here. And uh, we know that you could be just about anywhere else, but you've chosen to be here at Red Hills to worship with us. Thank you very much. My name is Al Dietrich, and I have been in ministry for a while. Uh, 1989 is when I started, fresh out of college. And in May of 2019, just a few years back, a church planning organization actually asked me to consider leading their efforts to plant 10 churches in 10 years, starting in 2020. So January 5th of last year was my last sermon at my church that I had been at for eight years. We were going to model the 10 churches after the church that I was at. And, uh, well, a little thing called COVID happened, and I, I was in Oregon. We were going to plant in Eugene, Oregon, and I don't know if you know what that even is like, but they just shut the place down. And so no church opening, no nothing. We had money to start one church and open one church and start going from there, but it just didn't happen. So... In the course of time, my wife and I decided, you know, we had the house up for sale. We're no longer attached to the church we were at. Where are we going to go? And, well, we decided, let's get close to the kids. So that's what we did. The house sold, and we moved to Las Vegas, which was centrally located to our children. One of our children is five-minute walk from my house. Anybody want to say Amen. I'm blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Um, we're, we're not too close to one child who's on the East Coast, but that's his problem, right? <laughs> All right. I have been asked to preach on Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. And I have entitled the sermon, The Big Reveal. And, oh, great. I love how you guys have this all set up. This is the first time I'm here, Right. Um, so, you see the curtains there on the screen? What happens when the curtains are pulled back? Well, there's a reveal of whatever's behind them. So, that's what we're going to be looking at today. I've entitled the sermon, The Great or the Big Reveal. And I want to begin with a story. And it's a story about a teacher who had just been hired by a local school district. 
He had moved to town, taking on the fifth grade class. Two weeks earlier, he'd moved into town, and one big question that he had for himself was, how am I going to reveal myself to these fifth graders so that they could know what I needed from them, so they could know who I am, so they could know how this class is going to happen? Now, Here's what I do know. Anthony was telling me that this is family weekend, and I do see a few uh, children in here. So I'm going to ask the children. Everybody else be quiet. Oh, I'm putting them on the spot. I know that. But here's the question for the children. I want you uh, to let me know if what grade you're in. So on the count of two, you're just going to shout out what grade you're in. So if I was in fifth grade, my wife says I sometimes am, but uh, if I were, I'd shout out fifth grade. So here we go. One, two. First grade. First grade. I heard that loud and clear. Loud and proud back there. I like that. Okay, one more time. On the count of two, shout out what grade you're in. One, two. Fourth grade. That's awesome. I'm going to ask you a question here, you guys, your first graders and fourth graders and whoever else you are. Have you ever had, have you ever had a new teacher? Chances are probably yes. At the very beginning of the school year, there's a new teacher every time you go to the next class. Unless you're in a one-room classroom. I've actually done that two years in a row. But you usually have a new teacher. Well, back to the story. Back to the story. On the first day, the teacher decided to ask a few questions to get to know the class and to get the class moving in the direction that he wanted the class to go. He had already reviewed some notes from the previous teacher from the previous year, so he knew where they should be and what the last modules were that they learned. So he looked on his scroll and he saw the name Donald. And he goes, is Donald here? And Donald said, yes, I'm here. And he says, great. Donald, what is your favorite subject? Donald just got a smile on his face. Science is my favorite subject. And the teacher said, great. Then Donald, based on what I learned from what you guys were learning last year, uh, tell me, would you, Donald, what the formula for water is? And Donald got a smile on his face. He knew the answer. Well, teacher, it's H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O. Teacher, a little perplexed and like, yeah, just like that, sir. Just like, what? And the teacher goes, um, what are you talking about, Donald? And Donald answered, well, last year our teacher told us that the formula for water was H to O, H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O. <laughs> Trying not to laugh too much, the teacher thanked Donald, asked him to sit down and looked at another student and asked her her name, Maria, said the fifth grader. And the teacher, or the teacher then asked Maria what was her favorite subject. Geography, said Maria. Well, Maria, said the teacher, can you do me a favor? Go to the map right over there and find North America. So she stood up, went to the map, 
And she pointed to North America. Here it is, teacher. And he said, well done. Good job, Maria. And as she started to go back to her seat, he decided to ask the entire class the following question. Now, class, who found America? And all together and very loudly at the same time, they all shouted, Maria! I think they were pulling his leg a little. I don't know. Well, the teacher did feel that it was important for the children to get to know him as fast as they could so they could know how he taught and all of that. So his big question was, how do I reveal myself to them? So here's what we're going to do. Throughout the sermon, we're going to be talking about reveal. And for you who are in school, elementary age Children, I want you to listen closely because I'm going to give you the answer to this question. The teacher was trying to figure out how best can I do this. I'm going to give you the answer to what the teacher ends up doing. Are you all on board with that? Just raise your hand if you heard what I said. Because at the end, here's the great thing. You got a prize at the end. Who wants a prize? Oh, yeah, that was quick. Bam! I like that. Okay. At the end, what you could do is, with the answer to the question, and I'm going to tell you the answer, you can go to Anthony, and he has a prize for you at the end. All right? Whatever, when church is all over, don't come to me. I have nothing. Okay? All right. All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Go ahead and find your way there. And as you're finding your way there, let me begin by going backwards to verse 17. Because there we find one of the big main themes of the book of Romans. And it's just been introduced by Paul. The righteousness of God. Here's what it says. For in the the gospel, the righteousness of God is, what's that word? Revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from, fair, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. All right, the reason I bring up verse number 17 is simply this, the word revealed, the word revealed. Paul has just begun speaking about how God is revealing himself, these things that God is revealing to us. And in verse 16, anybody know what he reveals? The power, the didymous power, the explosive power of God is revealed. In verse 17, the righteousness is revealed. The word he's using here for revealed is a simple word that I can't say unless Bible Gateway told me how to say it. Apocalypto. That's it. It's a verb. So it's active. So the word means reveal, but it's active. So it's the state of revealing here in this passage. As in, hi, my name is Al, and in the course of the next few minutes, the next few hours, the next few days, weeks, whatever, I plan to reveal myself more and more to you. All for the purpose, because there's a purpose behind this, so that you can get to know me. Revealed. 
Or, as in the case of the teacher in the story for our children today, the first two weeks, he's trying to figure out, how do I reveal myself to them? By the way, that wasn't the answer, children. Okay? You'll get the answer later. Why is this word important? Because it begins, verse 18. The idea of revealed begins in verse 18 as well. So, Paul talks about the power of God being revealed. He talks about the righteousness of God being revealed. And then in verse 18, he moves on to something else that is being revealed by God. And that brings us to our text. Now, our text is placed inside this section of Scripture that covers verse 18 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. And in that section of Scripture, Paul is just presenting overwhelming evidence of mankind's sinfulness with the hope that the reader, you and I, and everybody who comes after us, will read this and realize how desperately we need this righteousness that only God can provide to us, and that God is revealing to us. So Paul begins, verse 18, with these words. The wrath of God is being what? Apocalypto. We could look at this and say, I, God, am revealing my wrath from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. And the word there translated people comes from the word anthropos. And it's a masculine noun. And right here, some women may think they can just kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Because 552 times in scripture, that word is actually translated man. The wrath of God is being poured out on man. And the wives are like, see, honey, I knew it. But sorry, ladies, context matters. And anthropos actually means mankind or humanity right here. So as we read verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed and uh, apocalypto. I, God, am revealing my wrath from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people or humanity who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And right here I need to pause because many people look at this, they read this, and in their mind they get this image of a vindictive God being wrathful. I've had conversations trying to defend that this is not what we were seeing here. This is not, we do not serve a God who is vindictive and pours out his wrath out of his anger like that. No. Instead, as Christians, we must let Scripture interpret Scripture. And what are we told about God in Scripture? Well, we're told many things. But think about this. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. 
See, we serve a God who loves. And we serve a God who loves to give good things. And in verse 17, the one I just mentioned, it points out that God is the giver of righteousness. As you move through this book of Romans, you will see how God wants to credit that righteousness to you, even though I don't deserve it. Uh, You may deserve it. I don't. He's the giver of good things. So as Christians, we need to acknowledge that this is not a vindictive God. Yes, wrath comes. But God gives those who believe this righteousness because of what Jesus did on the cross. We just need to believe and follow. Be there no doubt. God is constantly trying to reveal his plan, which says that he is going all out to bring salvation to anyone who would believe. All right. God reveals his wrath. There's two ways in Scripture that God reveals his wrath. First one, if we can go to the next slide, there we go, indirectly. And the second one is directly. Now, let's take an example of the indirect one. Indirectly, we see the wrath of God. It's poured out on us through natural consequences because we violate. Okay, let me just say this because I know you guys are perfect, right? Because I violate his universal moral law. So what does that look like? What's an example of that? Well, we have children in here, so I decided to use this example. Could have used a bunch of them. But this one, mom, dad, you are in the marketplace. You're literally shopping for food, and you run into a friend. Or mom, dad, you're doing business somewhere out in the community. Oh, and your children happen to be with you. And in the course of doing business, or in the course of just meeting up with your friend by chance, you tell a lie to the person you're doing business with or to the person who is your friend. And the child, your child, hears it. Natural consequences. See, you may not feel the natural consequences immediately, But you may find yourself seeking out a pastor like myself five, six, seven years from now trying to figure out why is my son or daughter lying? I have taught them well how to lie. That would be the answer. So that is the first one, indirectly. The second one, directly. God, his wrath is poured out directly. The flood. The flood. And I could just imagine the people running to the ark as God has already sealed it up. And Moses, Noah is inside. And they're pounding on the ark. Let us in, blah, 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 blah. Open the door, blah, 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 blah. And Noah's like, I tried to warn you. 
That's directly God intervening. You know what I like about this idea here, though? God's wrath being poured out. Again, a loving God. Here's what I like about this. It shows us this idea that our God is not a distant God. He is, in fact, here. And unfortunately, in this passage, we see that his wrath, he's here. We'd rather have his love. But at least here in the passage, we could see that God, our God, is not a distant God. One last thing about verse 18, then we need to move. It says this, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This is a sad statement. Paul is actually declaring that there are people who actually know, we know, they know God. And they know God's ways. But they resist. And some even oppose God's truth by continuing to live in their sin. All right, verse 19. Next slide. There we go. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. I don't even have to say anything. I mean, God has revealed himself plainly to people. All right. Because that's such a simple verse, I want to kind of go sideways here just a second. And I'm going to give you an answer to a question I'm going to ask. And I like doing that because I like to ask questions that people can answer back to, right? And no one gets the wrong answer that way. How do you like that? All right, so here's the answer. The life of Jesus. It's on the screen. Now you can't get it wrong. So what's the question? I'm going to give you the question. And the answer is what? The life of Jesus. There we go. So the question is, in what one big way has God revealed himself to us? The life of Jesus. Jesus. That's a side note because the text doesn't really deal with the life of Jesus as much as it's Jesus always our king. But we're talking about being God revealing himself to us. One of the greatest ways he has revealed himself to us is through the life of Jesus. The Old Testament foretold of Jesus. The New Testament reveals Jesus. Verse number 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So, since the creation of you and me, the world, the moon, the stars, the sun, since all of that has been created, Paul says God's eternal power and divine nature can be clearly seen. So he mentions these two, the eternal power. And I like asking people when they say, is God really, you know... And I ask, I ask them this question. Who else can create and sustain life from nothing? By the way, is there anybody here who could do that? No one. I'm waiting for someone to say, I can, because I, I want an island in the sun with a house on it. Someday, someday, only God can. 
I'll wait for the mansion that he's making in heaven. His eternal power is clearly seen by the creation that he has made. I've been fortunate. Lauren has been kind of trekking me around the area here. Saw saw Zion and saw Bryce Canyon area. Who can deny God's finger at work? Secondly, he talks about God's divine nature. That which is God's character can also be identified, can also be seen in nature. See, the verse, the verse, this verse speaks to clarity. That God's eternal power and divine nature can, can be seen. They're there for us to witness. But too many don't see. Why? I think there's two reasons why. One is we blind ourselves. In life, through life, we blind ourselves. We find this toy that's fun, it's shiny, and we want to play with the toy instead of seek God's eternal joy. We blind ourselves. The second reason is the spirit of the age blinds us. Satan, his minions, blinds us. Let's move on to the rest of the verse. In fact, let me just... Verse number 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his div- and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without, what's that word? Excuse. And right here is the hard truth. There is no excuse. God's creation cries out that he exists. Have you ever bumped into someone who has 1,001 reasons why or 1,001 excuses why they didn't do what they were supposed to do or couldn't get done what they were trying to get done? There is no excuse when it comes to looking at creation and saying, boy, someone made that. You may ask how, and I won't have an answer. I don't know. He's divine. He's all-powerful. But someone created it, and his name is, I'll go with Jesus or God. I like how the MacArthur Study Bible notes put it when it comes to this one section right here of verse 20. I want to quote it to you. Quote, God holds all men responsible for their refusal to acknowledge what he has shown them of himself in his creation. Even those who have never had an opportunity to hear the gospel have received a clear witness about the existence and character of God. If the person will respond to the revelation he has been given, even if it is solely natural revelation, the creation around us, 
God will provide some means for that person to hear the gospel. Amen. Verse 21. For although they knew God, because he has revealed himself, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, which is sad because we were created to worship him. But their thinking, their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And right here, Psalms 14.1 just shouts out at me. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. Verse 23. i got to add verse 23 here because it, it goes together with it. And these foolish, darkened hearts exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Really what he's saying is they made idols of those things. Now you may not know this, but there is an Al Dietrich unsanctified Bible version, also known as A-dub out there, and uh, it adds to this verse. Right after he says reptiles, my version says, they made idols of all of these things, but so do we when we make idols of our money and cars, oh, and Disneyland passes, and vacations, and my children, and anything else that takes the place of God. Yes, that's the Al Dietrich Unsanctified Bible version, A-dub, and if you find it in the bookstore, burn it. How's that? All right, that's the text. Let's real quickly take a look at some takeaways. Three takeaways from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 22. First takeaway, God has a plan. Paul's every word here points to a plan that God has with a prize. How many of you like a prize? You know, when I was younger, man, I, I'd do anything for a prize. It might be a, a, a little toothpick, but I'd, I'll win that prize. I was kind of competitive. There's a prize. You know what? That prize is for God. Oh, and the prize is for us. We get the prize. He gets the prize. See, this plan, this plan... This plan that God has is all about us coming to repentance. That's his plan. Well, there's all kinds of other things around it, but his main goal is that we come to repentance. See, God reveals himself so that we can know God's great love and know God's great kindness towards us. And in God's love and kindness We arrive at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I know you're not there yet, but i got to give it to you. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? For us. Christ died for us. And then Paul in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, which you're heading towards, he continues, he continues this idea, letting us know that one of the purposes in God revealing himself to us is to lead us 
to repentance. Listen to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. After he's gotten through all these things that man do, that men do, humanity does, okay, women? That humanity does, he leads them right here. Or do you not, or do you show contempt in doing all those things? Playing with the toy rather than seeking his joy. Do you show contempt for the riches of his what? For the riches of his forbearance and the riches of his patience. Not not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? Repentance. So that is God's plan to show you that he loves you. And is kind towards you so that you can come to repentance. All right, takeaway number two. God reveals himself to us. God has revealed himself to us through his creation. He wants to reveal these things to us. His power, he wants to reveal his power. He wants to reveal that there's a righteousness that he wants to give us, to credit to us. Takeaway number three. Paul lays out the truth. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. This is actually echoed in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. We just read it, but I need to read it again. And what this does, what Paul does is he takes that idea in Psalms and, and moves it forward. And his, this is what it says. But their thinking became futile, and their their foolish hearts were darkened. Those last five words, their foolish hearts were darkened. Now next week, whoever's preaching is going to get into what that darkened heart actually looks like and what, what those darkened hearts do. And Paul lays out what that is and what it looks like. But then in verse 25... Paul says this, and I have to get there. Paul makes it clear that foolish, darkened hearts, they exchange God's truth for lie. That's what they do. The toys, rather than seeking God's joy, So what is the truth? Well, Paul's laid it out. That God has created everything and wants to give us good things. That's our God. He's a God who gives. He wants to give things like his righteousness. Verse 17. And part of what God has given is that he has revealed to us indirectly and directly his wrath, but also his good ways. As we prepare to close, I want to circle back to the teacher. So if you're in elementary school, here's your win, your prize at the end. Okay, guys? So what does this teacher do? His big thing was, how do I reveal myself to these students? Well, he decided to do what God did. He wrote a book. 
That's what the teacher did. By the way, the answer to the question that you're going to take to this guy right here, raise your hand, everybody knows him anyway, okay, is he wrote a book. Just say a book. Everybody say a book. That's easy, right? He wrote a book. Of course, it was only seven pages, so it was really a booklet where he revealed himself, what he liked, what he expected of the children. He wrote a book so they could get to know him. You know, God wrote a book. See, one of the great ways that God revealed himself was through the life of Jesus. But there's another way that he revealed himself and does so every day is through his scripture, the book that we have called the Bible. As the worship team makes their way up here, I want to go to the last slide. There it is. God, the great reveal, the curtain pulled back. God is revealing his power, verse 16. God is revealing his righteousness, verse 17. God is revealing his wrath in as much love as he possibly can, verse 18. God's, God is revealing his invisible qualities, and God is revealing his salvation. I want to pray. And I'm not sure what happens after that, but I'm going to pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you right now.